Welcome, everybody. So glad to see everybody. Everybody should have a green handout. I uh, don't have one to show you. A uh, green handout it really helps um, if you have that handout because this is really wordy. I stick pretty close to the outline except for the quotes in the scripture. So welcome everybody online who's watching. I've talked to several people that watch online and uh, they enjoy it and they can believe they can. Uh, can you all hear me okay? Yes. Okay, good. Everybody can hear okay? Yes. Sheila, you can hear? Yes. Okay. Um, we finished... Um, well, first of all, I look back up, and we actually started this in May 10th. Um, there's a green handout. They can show you back there. Oh, okay, great. Got one. Okay, great. Um, we started May 10th, 2022, on this, on this, and I actually have a copy of the first, the first lesson here, and, uh, um, even a copy of one of the maps that I gave out. So they gave you maps of the old Turkey and uh, uh, what the cities were named and what they're named now, the ones, some of the seven churches of Asia. So we, I mentioned that because we have finished the first, yes, <laughs> Sheila still got it. Uh, we have finished the first two chapters of uh, Colossians, and that's half of the four chapters. And actually, it's more than half because uh, there's a lot of goodbyes on verse 4 to different people and, and hellos and goodbyes, greetings that Paul does to a lot of people. So we actually covered more than half of the book. Um, and the doctrinal section is really challenging. And uh, we took our time and looked at it carefully and closely. Um, we're going to read, we're on Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4 this morning, if you want to turn there. And we're going to read in just a second that. Um, let's pray first and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father, thank you so much for everyone that's here this morning. We pray that you would bless uh, those that are here and that uh, you, that your Holy Spirit would help us to have a deep, deep understanding of this precious passage of setting our affections on things above and lord i pray that you would uh as we look at this that you would help us to allow you to have the preeminence in our own lives that you would be first i pray that you would uh be here with us that your spirit would help us to understand uh, the deep truths of your word and apply them to our lives so that we might live in a way which is completely pleasing you thank you father for those that are here and we pray for those that couldn't be we know there are many that are sick and ill and hurting we pray for your healing hand upon them we know many are injured and suffering and hurting and i pray that you would restore those and provide healing to them be with those that have diagnoses that are truly frightening that you would encourage them and strengthen them pray that you would bless those that are listening from home, comfort, encourage them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So uh, we're going to read Colossians 3, 
verses 1 through 4. Esther has that for us, and she's going to read Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, as you follow along. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Thank you so much. You read so well. Whenever I, I could hear it up here. It was great. Mm -hmm. So let's look at the introduction, first page of the handout. Look at A, paragraph A. In chapters 1 and 2 of Colossians, Paul made strong doctrinal statements. He emphasized the preeminence of Christ. That is, he emphasized the supremacy of Christ, Christ's superiority, and Christ's sufficiency to counter heresy and false teaching and to be all that we need in our spiritual lives. And so while he... he so chapters 1 and 2 were doctrinal in emphasis. So while clearly stating the deity of Christ, reading further in that paragraph, Paul expressed his concern over the spiritual well-being of the Colossians and warned them of errors and false teaching uh, and the persuasive speech of the false teachers as well as the philosophy, legalism, angel worship, mysticism, asceticism, and he encouraged the Colossians to continue in the faith in following Christ and to quote from Colossians 1.10, walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That was the goal. They weren't to become enslaved and as um, chapter 2 verse 8 says beware lest any man spoil you that word spoil means to kidnap or take captive the imagery there is like a pirate taking away pirate treasure booty and so beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit or empty trickery after the tradition of men after the rudiments or elementary aspects of the world not after Christ so there's a tradition of man the tradition of Christ contracted there and they were not to become enslaved or kidnapped by false doctrine or heretical teaching after the tradition of men uh, because they were dead to Christ dead with Christ to the world rather and its teachings they were not to go back or revert to those to the world and its teachings as if they were living in the world. And Colossians 2.20 through 23, I want to read, just to bring us, refresh our memory. Wherefore, the word if is the next word, and that word is used as in sense, like you were stating, here's some facts, and this is what, uh, this is what is a result of those facts. So, wherefore, since you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances, taste not, or rather touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, 
which things indeed have a show of wisdom and will worship and humility, neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. And that last phrase, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh, means those things, the commandments, all of those other things could not restrain the flesh. They could not stop you from sinning. They were of no help. In fact, they were actually, as we taught last week, they actually um, really glorified the flesh and stimulated the flesh because you could not do those things. Okay, uh, now looking, so what we have in, 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 in section A there is a doctrine. We're under introduction, the first page, A. And the first two chapters have a doctrinal emphasis. And that's what we believe. That's truth. And here's the truth. Now in chapters 3 and 4, there's a practical emphasis. And that's how we are to live. And we're to be living truth. And if you will, truth in action. So it's been said that your theology is reflected less by what you say and more by what you do. In other words, how you live is what your real theology is. That's what you really believe, and that's what you do. So we're to live in the way that we believe. And so we know what the truth is, and we're live, we need to be living that truth, our truth in action, and our theology should agree with our conduct. So, now in Colossians 3 and 4, Paul shifts to a practical emphasis and examines the expression and application of true doctrine in the Christian life. He encourages and exhorts the Christian to live out, to live it, to live out their relationship with Christ in their daily lives. Paul explained our inward relationship to Christ in chapters 1 and 2. And now he turns to the outward expression and demonstration of that inward relationship with Christ. Paul now examines those outward evidences, our conduct, and those actions and activities that result from the inward relationship, such as bearing fruit and putting on the new man, that is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. That's Colossians 3.10. So, quoting uh, Curtis Vaughn, Dr. Vaughn, the Christian life is a life hid, uh, hidden with Christ in God, but it is still, Paul explains, a life lived out here on earth. We're to be not... Of the, we are in the world, but we're not of the world. <clears throat> so I want to read a, uh, a short, medium-sized quote by J. Bernard McGee. I like him for his practical wit and pra practical approach to Scripture. Often he can take a difficult task and, and reveal it in such a uh, direct manner. It's, it's, it's a joy to, to read. He said... We come now to the line of division in this epistle. He says, this little epistle. Uh, epistle is a letter. Which conforms to Paul's regular way of dividing his epistles. 
He always gives the doctrinal section, then the practical section. Chapters 3 and 4 comprise or consist of the practical section of Colossians. We have seen the preeminence of Christ in chapters 1 and 2. We have seen him as a member of the Trinity. He is the very man of very man. He, but he is the very God of very God. He is preeminent in creation because he's the creator. He is preeminent in, the, in redemption for he is the redeemer. He is preeminent in the church because he's the one who gave himself for the church. And I would add he is the one who established the church. And now we come to the place, I'm on a handout, which is not, I'm on a uh, quote, which is not in the handout. Now we come to the place where Paul insists that he, he must, or Christ, must be made preeminent in our lives. Not only is he preeminent, but we must show him preeminent in our lives. Put him first, in other words. Today we hear a great deal of talk about dedication. Well, what is dedication? Very brief definition is, dedication is Christ preeminent in our lives. You cannot just say, I'm a dedicated Christian, and then live your life as you please, as a great many people are trying to do today. No. If Christ is preeminent in your life, then you are going to live out his life down here on earth. Paul has already made that clear in the doctrinal section, for in him, in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness. We talked about that word, that word pleroma. Uh, he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in Christ. That's from Colossians 2, 9 and 10. You're made full in him, complete in him. You are ready for the voyage of life in him. In other words, Christ is really the solution to all the problems in life. Paul has discussed different things that lead people away from the person of Christ. He's warned against enticing words, which carry people away by great oratory. He is warned against philosophy, legality, mysticism, angel worship, asceticism. All these lead people away from Christ. So I'm going to stop here and say, this is a great, great place to think about what's leading us away from Christ. You know, there are many things that are designed. There are people that spend billions of dollars to lead you away from Christ and get involved in their advertising and their product. You know, you need to be living the life of having uh, a six pack and a, and stay home Sunday and watch. Uh, the NFL or whatever else is on, I noticed that all the high-ranking uh, high sports are always on Sunday. Hardly ever on Saturday, always on Sunday. Isn't that funny? So, you know, from golf to NASCAR to NFL, baseball, hockey, whatever, they're all, a lot of, now I know they're on Monday night, Thursday night, and all that, but the big games are on Sunday. You know, yeah, Super Bowl is on Sunday. Um, and, and, you know, is Christ preeminent in our life? Are we placing him first? Or, or am I giving first place to the Lord Jesus Christ in my life? Lots of things distract us. There are so many things that distract us. 
Well, if we're living out our doctrine, we're going to we're going to put Christ first in our lives. So, going back to read, close out this quote: the Christian life, or the Christian life, yeah, the Christian life is to live out the life of Christ. Well, the Christian is to live out the life of Christ. You and I will find in Christ Jesus, our brother McGee says, you and I will find in Christ Jesus all that we need. In this practical section of the epistle, these last two chapters, Paul will show us Christ, the fullness of God, Christ is the fullness of God, poured out in the lives of believers. That's the only way he can be poured out. <clears throat> Now, okay, we're on the handout. We're on paragraph um, C on the first page. Everybody see that? Okay. So while there's no specific references to false teaching in chapters 3 and 4, Paul, or Paul does exhort the Colossians and us to live godly lives, and which is really almost the same because it's in direct opposition and contrast to the lives of the false teachers who and those who follow them because false teaching results in lives that are not pleasing to God because that false teaching can, it fails to enable us to restrain the flesh and please God. Um, A.T. Robertson, who is a Greek scholar, said, the heretics hope to attain the spiritual freedom by means of a... I'm looking at the fundamental principle, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And uh, let me hold that quote. Let me just read the first, first sentence here. The closing verses of Colossians chapter 2 are directly related, and this is why I read 1, uh, 20 through 23, Colossians 2. These verses are directly related to the beginning verses of chapter 3. Paul asserts in Colossians 2, 20, since you died with Christ, it says if, but that really means since, since you died with Christ in Colossians, uh, in Colossians 2, 20, and in correspondingly in chapter 3, verse 1, he states that, since you have been raised with Christ. So there's a transition. When he's making that doctrinal transition, he's, uh, he's actually, um, it's amazing. Paul makes transitions that are so subtle, it's amazing. It's a beautiful way he does it. So since you have been raised with Christ, and he warns in Colossians 2.23 that commandments and asceticism that we referred to already are a failure and unable to restrain the flesh. They cannot keep us from sinning. So, now I'll read that quote by A.T. Robertson. He says, The heretics hope to attain spiritual freedom by means of an, of an asceticism, that's a beating down of the flesh and adherence to rigid rules, laying on nails, hanging from your skin, all the crazy stuff, that beating yourself with whips, uh, by means of an asceticism which would bring them into contact with angelic denizens, which means eons, E-O-N-S, uh, different angelic creatures of the spiritual world. 
But Paul points to the one and only way that leads to conquest of sin and evil. That's the union of the Christian with Christ in his death and resurrection. And that's a union that brings and belongs fundamentally to the region of the spiritual and eternal and exalts man to the very heights of heaven. That's, that's what he says is going on here. Okay, So, now we're looking at the, about the third sentence in paragraph A under fundamental principle. Okay? The real remedy for restraining the flesh and sin is found in the believer's union with Christ. This union is possible because the believer died with Christ at the time of salvation, and the believer also died to sin and the world's ways and systems. Now in chapter 3, Paul teaches that along with Christ's death, believers also participate in his resurrection life, being raised with Christ. The believer's union with Christ is now both his frame of reference, that's his perspective for his new life, and also it's the believer's source of power. That's how we see things and that is where we get our power from, the union with Christ. So it's that source of power that can restrain the flesh and enable the believer to walk worthy and of all pleasing, referring to that verse I read in Colossians 1.10. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, they teach the spiritual principles. And I'm quoting Vaughn again. And it's in the handout, the last sentence in, on page 1. These four verses then point to the believer's union with Christ as the root or basic principle of the whole Christian life. It's the point of departure, it's where you start, and the source of power for all that we do. I thought that was a great summary uh, sentence. I'm going to read it again. These four verses point to the believer's union with Christ as the root principle for the whole Christian life. It's the point of departure and the, and, the, and the source of power for all that we do. Okay, so turn over to page two and we're going to start with, we're going to continue on section B right at the top of page two. Does everybody, everybody know where we are? Yeah. We're good? Okay, good. All right. So, Paul emphasizes the following four things, and this is each one referred to chapter 1 is verse 1, 2 is verse 2, 3 is verse 3, 4 is verse 4. Paul emphasizes these things since they have been raised or co-resurrected or raised together with Christ. First, he, he's going to emphasize seek heavenly things where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Secondly, he's going to emphasize, set your affection or minds on heavenly things, things above, not earthly things. Number three, he's going to emphasize, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And then four, he's going to emphasize, you will also appear or be revealed with Christ in glory, with Christ who is our life. That, all those referred to a verse. Okay, now, I'm going to read a quote from MacArthur, 
a couple of paragraphs. And keep in mind, he's going to say that we should be living the risen life. He calls our sanctification, that is, what we're to do after we're saved, and these things have happened. Since we died with Christ, we've been raised with him. We're to seek heavenly things. We're to set our affections on things, heavenly things, not on earthly things. We should be living the resurrected or risen life. And here's the quote. He said, now this is from a message that he preached on Colossians some time ago. I don't remember the date. He said, now Paul has closed out the doctrinal section of the book of Colossians. It ended at the end of chapter 2, that great, great two chapters that we've studied in so much detail in the last few months. The doctrinal section is over. And now having stated sound doctrine, he makes some practical implications. And he goes on to say, and doctrine always has practical implications. The truth about what we believe and what we believe will result in behaviors that are, that are uh, in harmony with that belief. So we're to be, he's saying, and when you say practical, he's talking about things that we should be doing. So we should be doing, and there are some implications of how we should live them out. So he says, the first great practical principle that uh, Paul wants to tell us is to get out of the world system. Now, when I read that, I thought, I don't remember it saying that. But that is what it's saying. Get out of the world system. And the only way you'll ever reach the world for Christ, he's talking about evangelism here, the only way you'll ever touch the world, he says, is to ascend beyond the world into the presence of God. I kind of like to call these verses living the risen life. And that's a good title. I like that a lot. Now, look at the quote right under the number four in your handout at the top of page two. And this is by a guy named H.C.G. Moule, M-O-U-L-E. He says, these four verses, this is one of the golden paragraphs of the whole Bible to countless hearts. It is one of their, by peculiar, he means special, one of their special treasures. This is a celestial music for them in its very phrases and rhythm. If then you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Now, the next sentence, actually, uh, yeah, sentence, there are two things Paul instructs the Colossians and us, since we are risen with Christ, to do. And number one is, verse one, seek heavenly things. Number two, to set our affections, our minds, on heavenly things. So Paul told the Colossians and us to seek heavenly things and to set our affections, our minds, on heavenly things. And so the first one, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Verse 1. Paul exhorts um, the Colossians and us 
And I've put a bunch of things in there to try to capture the spirit of what he's trying to say. Paul exhorts them and us to desire, to strive for, to look for special interests and ideals. In other words, values, qualities, views, things, uh, virtues. And continuing the second sentence in uh, the uh, second and the first verse there, uh, under seek those things, our attitudes and ambitions and our thoughts that drive our actions, our whole perspective should be laser focused on Christ so that we might be empowered, shaped, and enabled by our relationship and our union with him, with Christ, to be like Christ. Now, you may have noticed that I used a non-biblical word, laser. Okay, I wanted to make sure that you knew that we should be focused. Now, I use that because laser is the hottest, newest thing, even though it's been around a long time, that they're figuring out how to use. One of the uses of lasers are LIDARs, L-I-D-A-R. And it stands, it's like radar, except it's LIDAR. And uh, it means uh, light detection and ranging, L-I-D-A-R. So they can shoot a pulsed laser. This is an illustration of focusing on Christ. And they can shoot it, and they can map a whole area, like a cave or, uh, or, or the ground or distances, and get very accurate uh, readings and, be, and really focus on the environment. And, or focus on a thing. And, and uh, it's not unbiblical for me to give an iPhone illustration. <laughs> but uh, giving an Apple, they used to have problems with the phone uh, when you shot in, a, in an extreme telephonic, telephonic, telescopic range, it, they wouldn't focus. You could actually see it going in and out. And I thought, well, why did they even create that if they're going to let it focus? Because who wants a fuzzy picture, right? Fuzzy picture's no good. And also, uh, at low light, it couldn't focus. They, the, the cameras now can all this processing, and they can reconstruct low light and take pictures at low light, where you couldn't do that before. But it couldn't focus in low light very well. So what they did is they put LIDAR in here. And so L-I-D-A-R, LIDAR, sends out a beam, a laser, that's not harmful, and it will tell the distance, tell the phone the distance, and sharpen the picture really amazingly. And they, that's the, the success of the laser in focusing. And we should have a laser focus on Christ. Our focus should not be fuzzy for messing around in the world and trying to keep up with the world, and we're trying to focus on Christ, that you can't focus on two things at once. That doesn't work. It's one thing or the other. And also, um, they use LIDAR now they'll, uh, over in archaeology. Let's say you're in Southeast Asia, and you're mapping where these temples used to be, or these cities of millions of people, hundreds of thousands of people. They're completely gone. They're trying to figure out what, what, how they live to figure out what happened to them, perhaps. Well, they found out if they fly a, um, 
a drone or an aircraft or a helicopter over this area and shoot down with a certain type of LIDAR, it will map out the ground, skipping the vegetation that can have all those jungles and it doesn't matter. They do it in Central America too, and they found all the more pyramids down there from the Aztecs and the Incas and Mayans. And they, they can actually see the uh, image of the ground when it comes out and they can actually see the depressions that are there. So they can actually kind of find out where these things used to be. And because of the way it's focused through the vegetation, all the distractions. Now, don't we have a lot of distractions in this world? There are companies... I was talking with, with several people, one, one individual, and I know this happened to me too. I used to get a couple of hundred emails a day. And the individual I was talking to told me he, he would get hundreds of emails a day. There's so many distractions to our life. There's so many things vying for our depend, attention. I like the, like the laser focused on the ground and, and not, not, to, not distracted by the vegetation and the jungles and all the water and everything else. I could actually see that contours of the ground and help that archaeologist know what's there. We need to be laser focused on Christ so that we can be empowered, shaped, and enabled by our relationship and our union with him to be like him. Um, now, continuing on, middle of paragraph one, these spiritual things that which are above can be uh, really seen in Colossians 3, 12 through 17. I think this may be exactly what he's talking about. And you know, can you read that for us? Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness of long suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even a Christ or even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Thanks for reading. That's a long passage. I wanted to give you an idea of heavenly things, things that are above, that we should we should be seeking those things. Now <clears throat> um the fact that Christ sits on the right hand of God uh, is the last phrase in this, this verse. And that uh, is a statement of his sovereignty and supremacy. Now, we talk about, you know, there's, there may be a very powerful person, but his right-hand man or right-hand woman is so-and-so. And that's a, a statement about their authority as being so an, an adjutant or an executive that does things for them. And so the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God is a statement of his sovereignty, his supremacy, 
and reflects his status also as a mediator at the right hand of God, reading on in that paragraph, symbolizes uh, his unique position, power, privilege, and authority. And in such a position, Christ alone is able to intercede for us and to supply all our needs. So Lightfoot, who was a, 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 an older um, scholar, uh, textual scholar, said all your aims, our goals, must center in heaven where reigns the Christ who has thus exalted you enthroned on God's right hand. Now, I think what we're going to do is we're going to stop there to leave verse 2, and then we're going to go into uh, how close verse 1 and 2 are at the bottom of the page, and then we're going to talk uh, on page 3 about three reasons for motivation for this principle and its requirements. Uh, we're going to look at our union with Christ in his resurrection, our union with Christ in his death, and our life being hidden with Christ in God. And we're going to be look, we're looking at hidden with Christ in God. And then we're going to look at the third reason is our anticipation of appearing with Christ, who is our life and glory. Questions that you might have? Yes? You know, yes. I think sometimes because we're so stinking human that we have a hard time not getting attached to this world. Things that we have, like yes. our home, our yes. Yes. cars, yes. or things around us, yes. because it's like part of our 24-hour day life. Yes. But I find what helps me is early in the morning, before I even get out of bed, I pray this prayer and say, you know, Lord, I want to see you today. I want to feel you today. I want to know that you're walking with me today and know that whatever comes about, it has to pass through your hands before it comes to me. Amen. So if I do that every day, it makes such a difference to keep focused on the cross and not on what somebody says or what mm -hmm. somebody does or what I think I'm going to do or what I think I'm going to say. It just makes a big, big difference. You know, unlike a camera that we have now where we hold it up and it automatically focuses on whatever we're looking at, mm -hmm. you know, um, they, we have manual focus. We need to make it almost automatic, but that's almost like you're focusing the telescope or camera to get laser focused on, on the Lord. That's really good, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Sometimes I get really, not sometimes, many times, I get really busy with doing things and I sit down to do this and I have to stop and say, wait a minute, I need to go to the Lord first. Remember every time the Israelites went out to battle, they forgot, forgot to ask the Lord to help them and they lose. So I try to really ask the Lord and say, Lord, help me to focus on what you would want me to say and actually the truth of this passage and not what I think is important but what you think is important and help me to say it in a way where people can understand what is being said, but yet get to the deep truths that you would have for us. It's difficult to say that you need to uh, live the risen life and you're in the heavenlies. We're not, 
my body's not in heaven. And so I, we're going to discuss that. And I have some really good quotes on that that help explain that next week. So thank you for adding. That's really good, Esther. Thank you. Other other things. Okay. Let's let's have a word of prayer, and we'll we'll have some extra time to talk and chat, and then we'll uh, um, and get ready for the service. And I have time to take the stool out and put it up. <laughs> Father, thank you so much for the privilege of looking at your word. We thank you for the word of God, which is so essential for us knowing and understanding you. I pray, Father, that you would continue to help uh, your that you would continue to help us by allowing your Holy Spirit to reveal to us every nuance of your word. Lord, we thank you for what Esther shared about asking uh, you to help her. Uh, focus in the day and to to do those things which and that you want her to do and to be have a good clear focus on her day at the very beginning and the things that you bring to her i pray that you would increasingly help us to grow in grace that you would help us to be like christ and in these things in verses 12 through 17 that we're going to look at in a few weeks, months, I pray that you would help us to um, really show the fruits of the Spirit, that we would be patient and loving and kind and gracious, and that you would be with us uh, in our Christian walk. And I pray that you would be with us as we continue this study. We pray for those that are home that are ill. We pray for your healing upon them pray for those that can't attend and for any reason we pray you would comfort and encourage them in your word and uh, we pray for those that in our prayer handout that we've been lifting up to you that you would be with those that have such great needs and we pray that you bless the service to follow in Jesus name Amen